Welcome to the Super Sentai Brothers. This is episode 19 of For Your Eyes O-Ranger, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to Cherokee Sentai O-Ranger. Every week we watch an episode of this show and we share our thoughts with you, the listener. My name is Matt J. With my is my co-host and brother Dave. Dave, how are you doing today? Pretty good, man. Uh, probably a little better than me because, as you may have noticed, I barely was able to get out that opening sentence that we do you know, man, literally wasn't... every week. Yeah, I wasn't going to say anything about it. I uh, I genuinely thought that you were going to stop and try it again, but you didn't. No, Dave. And now it's too late. Dave, so what, whatever is in the show is in the show. This is all. This is all show now. <laughs> it wasn't. It is now. Um. So how how are you doing today, Dave? Not not bad, man. All right. Glad to hear it. Yeah, normally I have like a caveat to that, like, oh, I'm barely making it through. I'm actually pretty okay. Uh, the, the twins kind of slept in, and I managed to halfway get them to take a nap, like on the couch with with me by watching Raffi. So, okay. like, they halfway dozed, and I halfway dozed, and that's what I got me through the day, so... Uh, and now, yeah. the, now at the end of the day, Dave, we get to enjoy the, the delightful nightcap that is... Episode 19 of Cherokee Sentai Ranger called The New Robos Red Impact. Love me some new robos. Uh, but before we get into that, Dave, as always, shining in the heavens, there are five stars. What a what is our first star of the week? So I, uh, I'm having a beer, Matt, which itself is not the star. Sure. It's related. It's, it's star adjacent. Uh, I don't drink a whole lot of beer these days because mm-hmm. it's not part of that THM lifestyle. It's not part of the it's not part of the Dave World brand sure. drinking drinking beers. Uh but you were over the other day and so we grabbed some beers. I you know, I drink the occasional beer. But I had a realization this afternoon, Matt, is that uh uh Passover. Passover is coming up uh this upcoming Friday. Oh yeah. Which means yeah. So uh if you don't know anything about Passover, you just gotta there's a handful of things you gotta do, but you gotta get rid of all the leavening in your house. So like uh basically anything fermented has gotta go. Uh, including Anything fermented with, with yes. grain. You got to go. Um, and this is something that my wife and I do. Um, and so uh, beer, Matt, is Hametz. So got all these beers left over. Got to drink them all up. Well, I mean, it doesn't sound like the worst fate. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you know, it's working out so far. I got a big box of stuff on my kitchen counter like, oh, got to eat. Got to eat this granola <laughs> by the end of the week or you got to throw it out. Gotta, uh, let's see, I've got some scotch I have to finish, I gotta drink all these beers, it's a real, it's a real hardship, yeah. man, let me I, tell you. I, on the other hand, am drinking a, a nice, stiff cup of coffee right now, uh, because earlier in the day, uh, while My I buddy, was... buddy, it's, it's too late, you can't drink coffee now, Well, Dave, we're old. Earlier in the evening... Uh, when we were, when I was rather sitting down to watch this episode, because I've already watched it, um, yeah. I thought, you know what would be nice? Have like a like a nice glass of wine. And then Yay. I had that glass of wine, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to fall asleep in the middle of recording this podcast. <laughs> so I'm trying to sort of balance those two things out. I, that's right. how it works, right? You just sort of have um, equal parts wine and coffee and sail through your day. 
Man, <laughs> my life would be so much better if that's how that worked. I'm pretty sure it isn't. Yeah, it's but, all uh, good. But listen, you keep living that dream. Uh, yeah, so that's the first star of the week, Matt, is I'm deli- enjoying this uh, this delicious Genesee. Mm, king of beers. Yeah. Well, is it? I don't know if that's a thing. But, uh, you know, when I was a younger man, I was like, uh, good, you got to drink good beer. Craft and now I'm beers. 35 and I'm like, nah. I just give me that Jenny. It's oh, like yeah. six bucks a twelve pack. I love this stuff. Yeah, it's great. There's no reason to throw away all your money on something that tastes like a pine cone. No. Anyway, anyway, that's just my that's just uh, my feelings about craft beers, which for some reason could be a star, but has literally never been one. <laughs> yeah, how have we never talked about that? Like, listen, <laughs> I like I like good beer, but I also like cheap. You know, my favorite brand of beer, Matt. Sure, it's free. Is free. My second favorite brand of beer, Matt. Cold. Is cold. Uh, and then everything after that is, is fine. Uh, we'll talk about that some other day. What, Matt, is our second star of the week? Dave, second star of the week is you know how I have in the past lamented that there is no um, professional wrestling themed Super Sentai series? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we've talked about, well, at least privately, we've discussed that pretty extensively. So as it turns out, uh, I got a tweet from a uh, listener this week named Nick Revels, uh, and apparently there is not a Super Sentai series as such, but there's an old 1976 show that's more along the lines of a Kamen Rider, where it's just like one dude and no giant robots. Okay. Uh, But it is called Aztec Kaiser. uh, Okay. And it is... So it is... It's a professional wrestling... It's basically what if Common Rider was about professional wrestling instead of like bug-faced masks and dirt bikes. Well, that sounds excellent. Uh, I watched. Oh the yeah, first... there's some of it on episode one is on YouTube. Yeah, so I watched the first two episodes. Um, it's Aztec the... Kaiser, star of pro wrestling. Oh yeah, he is. Well, the thing, Dave, is he is powered by the Aztec Star, uh, which okay. I think means that he is the king of the Aztecs. Uh, yeah, dig it. He is a he is a dude who is a professional wrestler whose brother was also a professional wrestler, but who was killed by the evil Black Mist faction, uh, led okay. of course by well, Satan this guy's Demon. costume rules. Uh, yeah, Aztecaiser's costume is weird because it it kind of looks like there are flames coming off the side of his face, but the flames are just like part yes. of the mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does, and he's got a super catchy theme song. Yeah, and he's got like a huge three wheeled bike. Um, yeah, and so he is squaring off against the the Black Mist Clan and their leader Satan Demon or Demon Satan. I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly. Either way is amazing. Uh, they have a bunch of like cyborg soldiers, and he just like transforms and wrestles them all. Um, but what's crazy is that the very end of these episodes, like when they're getting into like the full, like they don't grow giant and have giant robots. Instead, what happens is it becomes like. A very sort of rudimentary anime, like it shifts into animation, and then he does like crazy throws and his power slams, and then it goes back to like real life to finish off the episode. Wow. Oh, okay. Well, I feel like we got to go back and watch an episode of that at some point. Yeah. I so I maybe we'll do a special episode about it in the summer. I don't know when we have time. Yeah. So let's let's back burner that. But I just wanted to a uh, thank Nick for letting us know about that, and b. Let everyone else know that this is a thing that exists, that at least the first two episodes are somewhere on the internet. Nice. Uh, anyway, Dave, what is our third star of the week? So, Matt, our third star of the week is um, 
okay, this is an old piece of media, Matt, but like I knew it existed, but I had never experienced it myself. Mm-hmm. And that piece of media, Matt, is R. Kelly's epic hip hop rap, which, by the way, I found out is the term for what this is, uh, which is a pretty glorious portmanteau. Okay. Is R. Kelly's 33 part, hour and a half long hip hop trapped in a closet. Now, this is something that I had heard of years ago, but I'd really only sort of heard the name and wasn't aware of what this thing was. Okay. So. If you're not familiar, R. Kelly's Trapped in a Closet, it is a series of three to six minute vignettes that are all set, like R. Kelly wrote maybe like a minute and a half of music for this, and it just repeats, like it repeats twice, or maybe it's like three minutes and it sort of sounds similar, and that's probably closer to true. So it's like three minutes of music. And it's the exact same musical track for literally every episode. Yes. And it is just R. Kelly sing narrating the aftermath events of a one night stand that he has, which is why it's called Trapped in a Closet. Because the first episode is he wakes up in this other woman's in this woman's bed and he's like I got to get home and she's like no you can't my husband is coming you have to like get in this closet and hide from him uh and then the first episode ends with R Kelly trapped in a closet the second episode the dude with whose wife R Kelly was sleeping turns out to be a pastor mm-hmm. who reveals that he has a male lover on the side okay okay R Kelly then Go, I don't remember like which all episode this happens in, but R. Kelly. Sorry, I was watching this because uh, so I teach a public speaking class, mm-hmm. and one of the uh, one of the assignments is like do an oral interp piece, which is like read a poem fancily, so like we really get it, you know. And kids inevitably say, "Can I do a song?" And I say, "No, they're not long enough, and you're just gonna because you're gonna do it with like the rhythm of the song in your head. It's gonna sound weird because like we're not gonna have the backing track that exists in your brain. It's gonna sound very weird to us. So right. don't do it." And also, it's not going to be long enough. And I just said this because I knew that it was really long. And I, what I said is, unless you're going to do R. Kelly's Trapped in a Closet, but don't do that because it would be weird. And so all the kids on Friday, everybody had finished their speeches. And we had you know, like 25 minutes left. And the kids said, hey, we, we should watch. Because they thought it was so funny. I think just that I knew what it was. Uh-huh. I don't know. They said, we should watch Trapped in a Closet. And I said, you know what? Sure. It's, sure, why not? It's a Friday afternoon. It's, it's like seventh period. I mean, I don't know this thing well, but based on what you've told, is this the sort of thing you can watch in school? It's, uh, yeah, it's like PG-13. You okay, know, like, there's okay. not really, like, swearing or anything. Like, nobody's, like, getting naked. Um, So, over the course of, and I want to say, there are 33 episodes of this. Okay. We only watched the first seven. No, 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 the first nine. In, in class. So here's what has happened in the first nine episodes, Matt. Uh, R. Kelly, as, uh, his, whose name is Sylvester in the hip opera. Sure. R. Kelly uh, had an affair on his wife with this woman who turns out to be the wife of a pastor. The pastor is also having an affair with a dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, his wife is like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. Uh, Sylvester has threatened all of them with his Beretta. And then he drives. So he leaves. Okay. He's like, I got to get home. So he leaves. He's speeding home. He gets pulled over by the police who give him a ticket. He then gets home. 
he thinks his wife, like, he's like, mm, something is going on with my wife, but she manages to, like, seduce, distract him until, like, the phone rings or something, and he's like, no, you also were having an affair. Uh, and, like, they get into a big argument, and she's like, yeah, but I know that you were also having an affair, so, like, don't you come after me. And then, uh, oh, she says, no, I wasn't having an affair, I wasn't, it's my brother who just got out of prison, like, he's home and he's here. But it turns out she was having an affair. The dude she was having an affair with is the policeman who gave Sylvester, slash R. Kelly, the ticket, who then comes in, and they both pull guns on each other. And then uh, the brother... Tron comes in and he accidentally gets shot in the shoulder. They think he's dead. He's not. They shot him in the shoulder. And then, uh, let's see the police. They like sort it all out. And then the policeman goes home and his wife is also having an affair. So, so everyone in this out, is having an affair. <laughs> yeah. R- okay. So like R Kelly wrote this and I think that R Kelly can only conceive of like a single form of, of of interpersonal drama which is like you have an affair and like that's it (laughs) also it is not clear if at any point r kelly experiences the self-realization to recognize when this has transitioned into complete farce uh i don't know well i mean listen i i don't know much about the life of r kelly but from what i know he's not like an admirable dude um so if you've got the time and you don't mind, because, like, you know, there's an ad, I guess, who you are in some way supporting R. Kelly. But, like, if you have the time, you should maybe watch a couple episodes of Trapped in a Closet. Uh, what, Matt, is our fourth star of the week? Dave, I don't have the time, because all of my TV watching time has been dedicated to one thing this last week. And that okay. is that anytime well, that Olympics, I am so. home, and I am not watching something else... And just, like, hanging out, doing something, like reading Mm -hmm. something or playing a game on my phone or on the Switch so I can still have something on the TV. I have just been watching Jean-Claude Van Damme's Double Impact. Like, like over and over again? Is that what you're saying to me? Yeah. So I got the movie on iTunes, and instead of renting it, I bought it. And I was like, well, I thought it would be funny to buy Double Impact. But I can't just spend $15 on it and watch it once. Because that's going to be like... I'm going to feel like that's a waste. And the thing about a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie is that... Like, they are the perfect things to just sort of have on. Especially late at night. Because that is my primary experience of watching Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. Which is just like... After Conan. You know, like in high school. After the Conan O'Brien show. Mm-hmm. If the TV was still on, it was probably a Van Damme movie or something, right? Yes. And so I've just sort of been, like, having it on in the background while I've been doing stuff. And <laughs> I, I kind of, I'm kind of worried because, like, the the second day I was watching it, I'm like, this is double impact. And the third day I threw it on. I'm not watching it all the way through every day. It's just sort of, like, on. And the third day, I'm like, this is triple impact. And I am worried that I'm eventually going to reach the stage of infinite impact. And I don't know if my body can handle that, Dave. Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, Jean-Claude Van Damme handled it twice, so... Yeah, I know. It's got twice the Van Damage. (laughs) 
Um, the, the only the way I am trying to wean myself off of it, and this is not a joke, is that I have realized that the Jean Claude Van Damme movie Lionheart is just in its entirety on YouTube, and so I have been trying to alternate out with uh, uh, Double Impact and Lionheart just to sort of like dilute the waters a little bit, so I can just finally take a step back. There, there, I might okay, have a Matt, time proper Universal you... soldier, soldier period here, but. I do need to ask you real quickly. I remember Lionheart being like a pretty rad movie. Is it as rad as I remember it being, or is that just is that me? Uh, I mean, I really like Lionheart. It's I mean, listen, all all of the first like five Jean Claude Van Damme movies all kind of have the same plot, other than Double yeah, Impact, yeah, which is like right. Jean Claude Van Damme ends up in a fighting ring, and then you watch that movie and you're like, oh, this is why they made the video game Street Fighter. Like I genuinely Man, don't I think that together, the video game Street Fighter right. Two would ever have existed without the career of Jean Claude Van Damme. Yeah, no, definitely not. Which never really occurred to me when I was watching Street Fighter the movie, and it stars Jean Claude Van Damme. But like, watch Lionheart and Bloodsport back to back, and tell me that there is any other reason on this earth that Street Fighter exists. Yeah. Also. I never realized before that uh, Johnny Cage from Mortal Kombat is also just obviously Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah, even his special move where like he does the splits and punch the, punches the dude in the crotch is straight yeah, no. up. That is something that Jean-Claude Van Damme does in Bloodsport. Yeah, no, no, no. Sorry, I should say that's blatantly obvious. I just never thought about it before. Like I can hear you. I can hear you laughing at me in the future <laughs> and over the internet. And I know that I deserve that. It's fine. Anyway, so that's that's just sort of been not the not in the foreground of my week, but definitely in the background of my week is just a constant stream of JCVD. Uh, Dave, <laughs> what is our fifth and final star of the week? So our fifth and final star of the week, man, is comic books, but not in the way that you think. Yes, these are space comic books from the future. Uh, right. Uh, there are actually there are space comic books from a long time ago. So, uh, if you have Marvel Unlimited, or if you don't have Marvel Unlimited, first of all, why? Why don't you have Marvel Unlimited? You should they get that thing if you if you did comic books. But anyways, um, they put out you know like every week they're like here are the new releases on Marvel Unlimited this week, and most weeks it's just the new stuff that kind of has cycled into Marvel Unlimited. But some weeks. They will pull back and it will say, oh, we just added this whole big stretch of thing to, you know, to Marvel Unlimited. You know, like X-Force 100 through 180 just got added to, yeah. you know, so if you want to binge on like mid-80s X-Force, like knock your socks off. Yeah, and, and sometimes it is related to another media property that is coming out, like... When the Black Panther movie came out, they put out a bunch of old Black Panther comics that hadn't yet been oh, on Marvel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. And so one of the things that came out this week, and I I just jammed on it the whole week, is this old comic called Strike Force Moraturi. Now I saw this pop up this week, but it is not something I had ever heard of before. Yeah. It's like I don't want to talk about it a really long time, but here's one thing, but um, it's a it's a really cool it is a sort of sci-fi superhero comic but one of the really neat things about it and like listen I love as much as anybody else the giant interconnected 
long-reaching history of Marvel Comics. It's super cool. It's a, like this incredible, rich tapestry of like whatever. But it's not without its downsides. One of the downsides is that if you want to make a comic that's part of the like Marvel Universe, it has to fit into this like giant, sprawling, 67-year history of everything that's happened in the Marvel comics. Yeah. And which is which on one hand is cool, but on the other hand, like it does limit to a degree the number of stories that you like there are stories that you can't tell inside the context of the Marvel universe because like they just don't work. Um and Strike Force Moratori is one of those comics. It's it wouldn't work in the Larval Marvel in the larger Marvel universe, but it is a it is a standalone thing. Like it ran for thirty one issues. Well, the main story arc ran for thirty one issues, and then they did like a follow up ten years later story arc that ran for five issues. And it's really, really good. Like really good. Good enough that I'm actually slightly surprised I had never heard of it before. Um, because the the really quick premise I don't want to go real into it is that there's alien invaders that are attacking Earth and you can sign up to go through this like moratory process and you get superpowers, but guaranteed you will die in less than a year. Like as a side effect of getting these superpowers. Okay. So because of that, the mortality of all of the characters is upfront and center, not only in the minds of the writers, but like in the minds of the characters. They're like, the fact that they know that they're going to die pretty shortly is a, is a huge element of this comic. So anyways, it's just like, it's really heavy and the, the action is cool and the characters are really interesting. The, the one downside is that the alien invaders do have like amphibian style neck sacks. Oh, uh, they're humanoids, but they do have like amphibian style neck sacks. And it just, it just looks for all the world. Like they have testicles dangling from their chin. Mm. And that's just a real visual weirdness. Yeah. That's not in, something you need in the book. That's not, this is, that's, that's like, I just don't know who made that design decision either. Uh, well, not skip this comic. Definitely skip movie 43 uh, if you don't like that. Because boy, howdy. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's a joke. That's a joke in there. Uh, but definitely, I definitely recommend Strike Force Moratory. It's it's super, super cool. Cool. Uh, I have not been reading anything so like deep cut as that. I have just been reading a bunch of old Captain Marvel comics. Nice. Uh, I mean, like Captain Mar- like Marvel, the, the Kree dude. Um, and listen, a lot of people have talked about those comics. They're very good. Well, okay, they're not always very good, but it's really interesting to see it go from, like, issue one, where he's just, like, a weird, goofy, like, sort of cornball spaceman, to issue 30, where, like, Drax the Destroyer and Thanos are fighting inside the time-space mind warp, and Marvel is gaining cosmic awareness so he can go, like, fight the Titans. It's... Like, just to watch it take that big of a left turn is great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, but I'm not going to go into detail on that, Dave, because we've already been doing the stars for a while, and I need to go into detail on a different thing entirely. Would you like to know what that is? I mean, I know. Okay, yeah, it's episode 19 of Turkey Sentai O-Ranger, and we are going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Okay, welcome back. So, this episode, 
Dave, when we started watching this episode, did you think that we had missed something? Yeah, no, I definitely did. Sorry, real quickly, if you I know if you listen to our show and then watch the Sentai show later, skip the intro on this one. Like just jump forward to to like a minute and a half in because they show you like they show you the coolest part of this episode like right off the bat, which they're sometimes guilty of, but it's particularly true this time. And yeah, I did. Well, okay, for like a hot second I did. I actually really dug it. And the reason with this that we had this confusion is because the very first thing we see in this episode is is a giant robot fight. Yeah, like we we see people going around in the city and slowly everything is like shutting off, right? Like trains are stopping, escalators and elevators are stopping because all the power is getting stuck, sucked out of the city by this giant robot called Barra Builder, who has like these yeah. tentacles wrapped around a power plant and is just sucking all the energy out of Tokyo. O-Ranger Robo shows up and starts attacking it. So this is like the last scene of an episode that we never got to see, basically. Yeah, so they're clearly like a whole bunch of stuff was, has already happened and, and we missed it. And I, we, every once in a while, they will do this. And I always think it's like a, it's a fun change of pace because it really throws the storytelling of, of the episode for a loop in a, in a show that is admittedly like as formulaic as Super Sentai. Like you, pre, you know, yeah. you pretty much know the formula. Um, and I think all the best episodes are, really are the ones that break that formula. Yeah. Although anyway, if so they broke Barra the Builder, formula every week, it wouldn't be fun. Well, then it would just be a new formula. Yeah. So Barra Builder has a pretty cool look. He, uh, he looks pretty sleek and and technological. A lot of the Barra robots, despite the fact that they are from a machine empire, do have a kind of like a big clunky robot look to them. Whereas mm-hmm. Barra Builder looks looks pretty sleek. So and as um, he is absorbing energy through these tentacles, he is becoming quote unquote more powerful. And the way yeah, he's kind of he is becoming out. more powerful is that like spikes are growing on him because spikes equal power. Well, listen, Matt, um, if I just saw a dude uh, walking down the street and that dude just went like, and spikes popped out of his shoulders, I'd be intimidated. Hey, so... you know what? Fair point. <laughs> so the Rangers, so they're already an O-Robo. Like, if they've done, you know, uh, you know, the Big Bang Buster or anything, we haven't seen it. They're already an O-Robo. So they do uh, the Taurus Vulcan head smash. That doesn't work. They do Vulcan head cannons. That doesn't work. And uh, Bacchus Wrath is actually there. And he he's as like, ha, 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 like all of your attacks don't work. So not only, like Barra Builder is the bishop of machine beasts. Like not only can he just like plug into this power source, he's literally absorbing all of the energy from the attacks and using those to get more powerful. Yeah, either the Bishop or Sebastian Shaw or Strong Guy. Yeah, I mean, any number of, uh, of energy absorber heroes or villains. Um, so they're fighting, and like things are going very badly for O-Robo. Uh, there's a bit here where O-Robo looks like he is about to like sort of get his mojo back, but Bacchus Wrath says, Oh, hey, uh, we're very sorry, and we surrender. We know we can't beat O-Ranger Robo. And he's, like, attached a white flag to his royal scepter and is waving it around. Yeah. And the Rangers, 
Like they, oh, I'm sorry. And then Barra Builder like gets down and is like, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. Uh, but while he's doing that, because he is treacherous, a little like tail spike like shoots out of his back, burrows underground, and then attacks Orobo. And Bacchus Wrath is like, suckers, this is what you get. You never should have believed us. Which, Bacchus Wrath, if you ever want to surrender in the future, you're going to regret this move. Yeah. It comes back. I, I, do, I uh, don't think that Bacchus Wrath is planning to surrender at any point. Yeah, no, probably not. So, th- at that point, uh, now, uh, Barra Builder is actually absorbing energy directly from Orobo. He drops, like, some super attack. And O-Robo goes down. Yeah. And not just, like, falls over. Like, this is the end of the fight, and O-Robo lost. Yeah, which uh, I I gotta say, I want to give the, I want to give him a lot of credit for the pacing on this, because I feel like we have, over the course of the last, you know, seven or eight episodes, seen uh, the, the Barra Beasts increase in power slowly, like, each fight is a little bit harder for O-Robo, and I dig the pacing that, that this is the one where he finally kind of kicks it. Not like, I'm sure we'll see O-Robo again. Oh, sure. But that he is defeated in this. So, uh, Bakker's Wrath is like, well, Bar Builder, that's it. We've defeated O-Robo. Go and, uh, go and destroy humanity. Get nuts, buddy. Yeah, have a field day. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, we see, I did have a moment where I uh, I wondered if they sold a battle-damaged O-Robo. You know what I mean? Like, pristine O-Robo, battle, O-Robo, with battle damage. Uh, because it's all toys. So, we see the Rangers back at the base. And O-Robo is just, just beat to smithereens, man. He's got, like, you see his circuits everywhere. He's, like, blown apart in pieces. Like, things are not good for O-Robo. I, I do love the idea, though, that... Barra Builder beats O-Robo, and Bacchus Wrath is there. Their whole jam this whole time has been like, let's defeat the O-Rangers. They have defeated the O-Rangers, and not only do they let them run away, they let them, like, bring in what sort of, like, heavy machinery would be required to tow the destroyed (laughs) O-Robo back to home base. Like, that must have taken (laughs) a while. Like, getting a tow truck to pull your car off the highway takes an hour. Like, getting this thing out of the middle of a city and set back up in the repair shop has got to have taken a couple days. Building. Uh, (laughs) So so they run in, they ask the chief, they're like, So, like, what's up, man? Like, how long is it going to take to repair a row? And the chief just says, Uh, I don't know if I can. Like, this is very bad. I do not know if o- this might be a lost cause. I don't know if O'Robo can be fixed. I mean, I think he's going to end up being fixed. Yeah. And and Goro says, well, okay, Chief, like, what else is in the pipeline? Because, like, we need something more powerful to defeat the, the Barra Beasts, like... Giant roller is not going to cut it, man. These guys can turn it the size like they can just turn themselves into giant robots the size of buildings. We need something to to fight with them, with them. And at this point, the chief is basically ignoring them. He's just sort of like walking across the room and staring at computer screens. Um, yeah, which is 
it's a it's genuinely it's kind of a weird moment because normally the chief is he's so you know he's so in charge he's so in control like he kind of always knows what he's doing and the chief kind of seems like he's at a loss right now um but in this moment gore the the crystal the Cherokee crystal in goro's um Power brace. That's power what it's bracer, called, right? Yeah. yeah, the power brace. Power brace. Yep. Uh, we just had two episodes about the, a lost power brace. I should remember what it's called. Um, it starts like glowing, and Goro's like, "Okay, I guess I'm gonna use this as like an indicator to follow what it's leading me to." Yeah. Well, he he says he's like, he just dashes out. <laughs> he's just like, "It's going. I gotta run." So he just runs. They say like, "It's something big." So, uh, yeah, there's clearly, like, some sort of tracking on this, because he goes over to the quarry, and then he gets radioed in from the base. And I, it's uh, Momo and Shohei, I think, are like, Goro, we've gone over these readings. Like, they're over 9,000, effectively. Yeah. And they're like, they're like, they're super powerful. And the, the and... readings that you are getting are similar to something that is already in our computers here and it's the blueprints for a robot called red puncher like what yeah and red puncher basically red puncher looks like oh red if he was a giant robot like he's got he's red and he's got the same star face it's uh you know what it is is it's like if you turned oh red into a if like O Red and Gundam Heavy Arms had a love child, yeah, it would be it would be Red Puncher. I feel like yeah, I feel like that's pretty close, dude. Gundam Heavy Arms is so rad. Gundam Heavy Arms is very rad, Dave. Yeah, sorry, um, man, that show is so good, guys. If you ever seen Gundam Wing, if you haven't seen Gundam Wing, you should watch Gundam Wing. I told you I rewatched all of Gundam Wing sometime last year, right? Oh, yeah, you did. Yeah. I think we made a star about yeah, it. Yeah, probably. That show holds up. Wu-Face still doesn't make any sense. Yeah, like Cry Havoc and Unleash the Dogs of Total Pacifism, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, anyways, so while Goro is in the quarry, and he's kind of, like, looking at it, trying to figure out what's going on, this little girl shows up. And she says, don't, like, whatever you're about to do, don't do it. That robot killed my brother. Yeah, like Just you like, cannot revive it, please. Yeah. So what we are about to what what she we find out is that basically her brother was Goro before Goro was Goro, which has got to make Goro feel weird, right? Yeah, that's a that's got to be a weird moment. Uh, it's like, wait a minute, I'm not the like I'm not the first. Oh man. So um, this guy's name is Lieutenant uh, Kirino. And Lieutenant Kirino, the little girl's name is Miyuki, and her brother's name is Lieutenant Kirino, and says he died piloting Red Puncher. Yeah, like two years ago or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, we, so like, we have no idea what's going on. Like, clearly, there was some sort of Choriki program before the O-Rangers that we did not know about until just now. So our next scene is at a cabin. It's Miyuki. Miyuki's there. I don't know if it's her cabin or what. Okay, you say it's a cabin. This is like a a summer home, like mountain lodge. Like this is a full house up in the woods. Miyuki seems to have come here on her own and maybe owns this house. She is conservatively 10 years old. Yeah, that's, well, 
Uh, yeah, like in, in that range. And so she gives Goro a picture of her brother. And they're like out on a porch. And she's like, this is a picture of him. And they hear a sound. And they rush inside. And it's the chief. And the other rangers have followed Goro out, out to this cabin. And there is a great moment where Miyuki stares down the chief and wins. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like he was like, oh, I I didn't quite catch it. I think he calls her Miyuki-san, not Miyuki-chan. Oh, I, I'm not I totally not sure about it, that. But... It was it was pretty quick, but like she defo wins this stare down. Like he feels very bad having to be in the same room as her, and so he kind of lays it all out. He says, "Okay, listen. Here's the deal. Two years ago, I had just sort of figured out, like, was just sort of beginning to figure out Choriki energy. I was building this robot." It's not really clear why he was building a giant robot, other than, like, if you build it, they will come. Like, if you can build a giant robot, why wouldn't you? Right. But I so, mean, but he he's clearly this- doing it in some sort of, like, proto version of the O-Ranger program because it was part of the military. Yes. And, like, again, the visual similarities between O-Red and Red Puncher cannot be denied. Yeah. You know. And so, so the, he had just, as you say, he had just like refined Cherokee energy and he was building this robot. And uh, Re- Lieutenant Kirino was like his main man. And, they yeah. spot- and the robot is mostly built. Yes. So they get a report that like, oh man, people are invading Earth. And you see these sort of blurry photographs of those like octopus fighter jets flying in. Yeah, sort of like classic UFO style shots. Yeah, so I guess that like the Machine Empire, although they've just gotten to Earth like, you know, 19 episodes ago, had sent out some initial scouts or something and those had already been on Earth or gone past Earth or something. Yeah, or something, but Lieutenant Kirino's like, listen, we have got to take care of this right now. We got to nip this problem in the bud, and, and like, Red Puncher is the only way to do it. And the chief says, no, do not do that. It is not ready. Like, this, the thing you're about to do is a very bad idea, and it's extremely dangerous. Please stop. I'm paraphrasing slightly. And Kirino says, like, no, I have to. And he sort of, like, walks Red Puncher out of a out of the mountain, mm-hmm. right? And he's sort of like smashing everything inadvertently on his way out. And they get out into the quarry and Red Puncher starts flipping out. Like just starts kind of like flailing around. So my assumption here is that, and so now I'm just going to assume this is true of O-Robo 2, is that Red Puncher has to be the host to some sort of like assistive AI Right? Like, it's not completely sentient on its own, but it clearly has some sort of animating force? Well, okay, so the animating force of all of the O-Ranger stuff is Choriki, right? And Choriki is, like, the energy of the Earth. And we've already seen in a few episodes that Choriki energy is, in some ways, like, benevolent and conscious, Oh, that's true. Right? Yeah, it is like quasi, sort of like the force a little bit. Yeah. Like, so I wonder if it's that like, okay, so the O-Rangers are able to pilot O-Robo and like use all the O-Ranger stuff, but they mm-hmm. have been imbued and like aligned with Cherokee energy. But I, but I don't think ah. Lieutenant Kirino had been. 
So maybe it's no. one of those things that, like, you know, he was trying to use a lightsaber, but he wasn't a Jedi. So he was just, like, kind of swinging it around and accidentally, like, cut his own leg off. <laughs> uh, well, he does quite a bit worse than that, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This dude dies. Yeah, so... Red Puncher just kind of starts flipping out and flailing, and uh, it gets bad enough that he basically collapses the quarry mountain in on himself. And as that is happening, Lieutenant Kirino is, like, thrown loose. Yes. And uh, and dies. (laughs) This is bad for Lieutenant Kirino because, of course, it means he is, you know, sort of buried in rubble. It is good yeah. for everyone else, though, because that means that there is not a two-year-old uh, corpse of Lieutenant Kirino inside the cockpit of Red Puncher. Yeah, I did not think about that. That would have been extra weird. Yeah, it's it seemed like a, a, a tidy bit of storytelling there to have him thrown clear of the robot when it was buried. <laughs> um. So, yeah, there is a scene as uh, as Red Puncher is getting buried where they are 100% just dropping dirt on a toy. Oh, yeah. So yes, that's yes, yes. And so the chief says, he's like, so now we're back. Like the, the flashback is over. And the chief says, it, I couldn't control the incredible energy. And because of that, an innocent man lost his life. Which like, okay, chief, I get it. Survivor's guilt and everything. You did tell Lieutenant Kirino please, please do not do the thing that you are about to do. Oh, yeah. So, but still, like, you know. It, I, listen, I get feeling bad. I just, I feel like maybe the chief's, like, personal ownership and guilt about this is a little bit misplaced. Anyways, he says, listen, you cannot revive this robot. I'm not really sure why. I think he just feels bad. Well, but he says, like, I do not want that robot revived. Like, don't do it. He's saying that it's too dangerous. And so I think that maybe the idea is that when he built Red Puncher, he had an incomplete understanding of Cherokee energy. Oh, maybe. And okay. so, like, this is like a weird prototype that isn't, even if they're able to get it working at 100%, won't be safe to operate. Yeah, Goro says, like, well, like, we need to do something because Baranoi is attacking and, like, Barra Builder's flipping out and we don't have a giant robot. So, like, I got to find it anyways. And, he's, you know, he's just like, listen, we have to fight Baranoia. So the chief says, no. And Goro appeals to Miyuki, which I think is an interesting tack. Like, all right, cool. Like, maybe if you can get her on side, like, the chief will flip. Uh, but she is also, she doesn't say anything, but she just kind of stonewalls him. And Goro just books. He's like, fine. He's like, I'm not going to wait for anybody. I'm just going to go do it. So he he bugs out. And then we find out that uh, as he's leaving, Kocha sort of like floats down on a fishing line from from the roof, I guess. And he says, Coach, I heard the whole thing. And then he leaves. So we at least now know, thank you for that gift of letting me know how in the world Baranoia knows about this whole plan. Yeah, I don't know how Kocha got there. Man, who even? Like, I don't even care how he got there. I'm so just tickled by the fact that they actually took the 30 seconds to think about throwing in a single narrative element that helps link the two pieces of this story. Like, I'll take what I can get, man. And I I do like that Kocha is there without Acha. 
Cause because like Acha's <laughs> the one with legs. Koja just like like kinda hovers around. So when we cut back from the commercial break, um Barra Builder is like going after Goro, who is trying to make his way over to Red Puncher to like get inside yeah. of it. Yes. Um so like there's just a bunch of explosions and Goro is kind of dodging. And then we see Barra Builder sort of like rock back on his feet and we flip over and we see the Rangers and they have henchened and they have just used their King Blasters on Barra Builder, which seems like they should be less effective than they than they were. But whatever. I, I don't uh, know, so man. anyway, it, it needs to have something right now. Yeah. So anyways, uh, there is a this is a pretty cool bit. So like Gar takes that moment where Barra Builder is distracted to henchen. And he runs over, and the explosions have unearthed, like, part of Red Puncher, not the whole thing. And Goro uses Choriki Riser to blast away the rest of the rubble, which I thought was really cool. Like, I just dig that they didn't, he didn't, like, run over and start, like, moving rocks. He's just like, no, man, I've got, like, an ultra sword. I'm just going to channel Choriki Energy and blast these rocks apart. It's rad. So he hops in and he pulls out his uh, his Cherokee combining crystal, uh, like shoves it into the cockpit, which is and apparently uh, this was all designed with like USB technology, so it all just fits together. Well, no, that does because the chief said he had just figured out how to refine Cherokee energy, so that at least makes sense to me. Um, and hold up, Matt. Digging in with your previous theory before, we did not see Lieutenant Kirino with a Choriki crystal. Oh yeah, so, so he, maybe you need that I think crystal this, to, like yeah, and you like you have to be imbued with the energy. So I think you got it. I think you uh, hit that one on the head, man. Nice. So Red Puncher stands up out of the rubble, and there's this sort of big like earthquake thing as he is bursting through the ground, and it's very cool. Yeah, it's super super cool. Uh, we got a quick shot of just before that. The re- like there's like a little bit of fighting back and forth between the Rangers and Barra Builder, and the Rangers obviously are like hopelessly outmatched because Barra Builder's already giant, and the Chief is there, and the Chief is lo- he's watching all of this in sadness and despair. Like, oh, I don't want the Rangers to lose, but also, you can tell he is still really not on board with the plan to resurrect Red Puncher. Right. Well, he's very torn, right, because he doesn't want his new guys to lose. But he's also thinking about his old dude who is already dead and how, like, this Red Puncher thing, I guess in his head, is cursed and it's all going to go poorly again. But also there's not really any other option. So he's just sort of, like, blanked out staring at the sea. So the problem is, though, is that Red Puncher is still unruly. Like, whatever, like, I guess just having the crystal is not enough because Barra Puncher, or Barra Puncher, Red Puncher is still kind of, you know, flailing around. And it's enough for Barra Builder to get his sort of tentacles in and start stealing energy from Red Puncher. When this happens, like, Red Puncher hits its knees and Miyuki calls out to her brother, like, brother, please help us. And then we get, I think, probably the... The best idea in this episode, (laughs) the execution leaves something to be desired, but the concept is great. Yeah, because shockingly, when she calls out to the spirit of her dead brother to help them, he does. Yeah, it works. So, like, Goro is kind of knocked out, and he sees a vision of Lieutenant Kirino, like, hey, Goro, 
oh, Red, like, you need to get up. Yeah, oh, sorry. Real quickly, Matt, uh, just so I can set up the visual, what they did is they built, like, a second cockpit prop that is not attached to the rest of Red Puncher. And so the shot that we get is just this cutout cockpit on a field of black. And Kirino sort of is like, like, he doesn't walk up, he glides up, like he's on a hoverboard or something. And then a spirit form of O-Red rises up, like the body of O-Red is still there. And the spirit form of him rises up and walks, kind of glides over. And then Kirino and O-Red both glide off screen together. It's it's a great idea, and that element of it is very, very cool. Yeah, I'm honestly, I think this whole thing is pretty cool because then they go on sort of like, a, well, they 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 go look at some stock they, footage of the Earth. Like they go, they go watch Planet Earth for a few minutes. Footage vision quest. Yeah, so they see the ocean, the river, life, like some fish, and like a ladybug, <laughs> <laughs> and then. And then that's it. That's the end. And then uh, O-Red wakes up and he says, we fight to protect all life. As though it's like a revelation. Yeah, I mean, listen. Which, like, O-Red, listen, that's like the premise. That's your whole thing. We We knew that from episode one. You fight to protect all life. This is not... Was it? Ju- did you need to convince Red Puncher? Maybe that that's was the it. case. Maybe Red Puncher still like the Cherokee energy in Red Puncher was still like chaotic and unrefined, and needed to ha- like have that moment to get it on board. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so, anyways, so like Red Puncher, like raw, like you know, kind of throws off the energy attack of Barra Builder, and uh, and then Red Puncher throws. Hands, which makes sense. His name is is Red Puncher. Yeah, and it's but very he punches cool really well because he's punching like he's swinging his arms. Right, he's not just standing there like with his fists going back and forth. Like the whole arm is going, and then it closes in, and you see that also his fists are on like hydraulics. So the guy's yeah. getting like a double punched every time he's getting like punched. Big o style. It's very mm-hmm. good. Yeah, I'm actually I'm super into Red Puncher. So he sort of, he like, he punches, he punches Barra Builder a bunch. And then when he knocks him back, it turns out he also has, it looked like it was, but I wasn't sure. And I was really pleased to see this is the case. He just has like Gatling guns surrounding his fists. Yeah. Sort of like wrapped around his forearms. Yeah. It's, it's very cool. Uh, And in my notes, I just, it says punch Gatling, all are amazed. Um, because everyone who is watching is just like, oh yeah, Red Puncher, this is very good. We are so yeah, thrilled Red... that, that Barra Builder is not going to destroy the earth. Yeah. Um, so, so that's it. So Barra Builder goes down. Oh, uh, Red Puncher is victorious. This is okay. Can I say for like a hot second, this is a a sort of trope that we see in anime that kind of drives me a little bit crazy where the first version of a robot is somehow like way more powerful than the second version of a robot, even though they're like built by the same guy or whatever. I was going to say when we were talking about this earlier that um, it's kind of another thing from Gundam Wing, because if you remember in Gundam Wing and 
Sorry, listeners, if you have not watched Gundam Wing, uh, this might not make any sense, but I'll try to do my best here. In Gundam Wing, there are there is a robot called the Tolgies, uh, and the Tolgies is like the prototype from which all of the other mobile suits are built. Oh yeah, but the Tolgies—I've completely forgotten about that. Yeah, but the Tolgies is like way better than any of the other mobile suits. But the problem with it is, it is too good. And so if you use it, there's like a crazy, there's like a software system in it that hacks your brain and turns you into the ultimate fighter, but like does not have any regard for the person inside the robot, like the human who is attached to that brain. And so people kept dying because they were pushed beyond their limits. And so when they were saying like, oh, you can't get into Red Puncher because it's too dangerous. I was like, oh, this is like O-Ranger Tolgies. Okay, so if there's an explanation for it, I'm fine. It's just like, listen, the chief wasn't like toning down his giant robots to conform to like the Geneva Convention or something. (laughs) Why would Red Puncher be more powerful than O-Robo? But okay, I can dig that. That, I can headcanon that. That works for me. Um, So so Barra Builder is down and we, uh, we see the last bit of the episode and Goro's like, yeah, man, like I I communed with like the spirit of, of Lieutenant Kirino and he showed me the heart of a fighter, which like he shows you some fish and a ladybug. So I'm not not <laughs> hey, totally man, that's, sure that's about what the, that. That's what's in a heart of a fighter, fish and ladybugs. Fish and ladybugs. It's just you thought it was like a crazy animal and, and steaks. It's not. No, it's you thought it was and thunderbolts and tigers, but you were wrong. You were wrong. <laughs> like, um, uh, so then that's the end. That's it, man. Yeah, well, they, they talk for a minute about how he communed with the spirit. And Chief is like, oh, yeah. Like, all of that, like, loose Choriki energy was probably able to summon up the lieutenant spirit. Because, you know, it's not just any energy. It's Choriki energy. It's which Chorky is apparently energy. also soul energy. Yeah, of course it is. Why not, man? That works. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I dig it. I like the sort of pseudo-mystical nature of Choriki in a season that is otherwise entirely sci-fi. Yeah, no, I dig it. It does have, it's got kind of a Star Wars-y vibe, you know, like, no, this is this is basically technological, but there is, there is a sort of like weird spiritual energy element to it. I think it's neat. Yeah. Anyway, so that's the end of that episode. But, David, it's not the end of our episode. Because now it is time for us to determine how the Barrow Builder fares in the Creature Royale. Yeah, so, okay. Barrow Builder, he's got a pretty cool look. Yeah, you he's know, got a I, name that's completely definitely. unconnected to anything that he does. Well, he... He builds he uses... spikes onto himself, I guess. Yeah, he uses energy to build himself, I suppose. Um, you know, other than that, like, he's not really a, a significant part of this episode. No. He's, you know, he shows up. He's got a cool look. He fights. Now, I will I say I think he gets some points for being the first the first enemy to defeat O-Robo and being the catalyst for, you know, bringing in a new robot. That's pretty fun. Yeah, but, but he I, himself... you know, that doesn't get him. That doesn't get him too far, I don't think. Okay, and and honestly, I'm looking at the list, and the thing that I am comparing him to 
you know, like cool look, no character, interesting catalyst for something to happen to somebody else, but he himself kind of is a big pile of nothing. Uh, uh-huh. And I'm thinking about Thunder from Die Ranger. Oh, yeah. I think that is actually a pretty good... So do you like this guy better or worse than Thunder? You know, I I think I would actually go... I think I like Thunder better. Okay. I think Thunder had a bigger, kind of cooler look. I, I, I dug his War Star vibe. So yeah. that was fun. Okay, so under Thunder. Um, Thunder is at number 101. So let me yep. sort of dr- say the next few below him. We've got Baron String, Archbishop Saw, the Empress Juza, Camera Dimension, Man of Jars, Sergeant Cannon. Do you think he goes anywhere in there? Okay, I, I think I like him. Sergeant Cannon, I would say, is probably my, my bottom. I definitely like him better than Sergeant Cannon. Okay. So, you know, as I'm looking at all of this, Baron, I think he's actually, well, there's Baron String and then Archbishop Saw. I think Archbishop Saw, and then uh, I would probably put him just below Empress Juza. Which puts him between Empress Juza and the camera dimension. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. So not not a great showing for him. Well, listen, he's, well, I mean, he is what he is. He's a, he's a kind of a nothing monster with an okay look. And I think spot 105 is, is pretty okay for that. All right. Well, then that, Dave, is going to do it for another episode of For Your Eyes, O Ranger. Before we finish up here, I'd like to remind you all that you can email the show at supersentibrothers at gmail.com. Or if you want to get any updates on future episodes or check out the things that we're talking about on Twitter, we are at supersentibros. Uh, if you like the show, please remember that Shining in the iTunes review section, there are five stars. Uh, rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you find the show. Um, if you would like to listen to any of the other shows in the Retrograde Orbit Radio uh, network, you can do that at RetrogradeOrbitRadio.com. Uh, once again, we are the Super Sentai Brothers. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. And we'll see you next week for the greatest show on Earth.